1: This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, problematizing the obvious for about 34 weeks now. Today we'll be discussing the role of the puzzling in popular culture, covering experiences and practices such as escape rooms, puzzles in video games, improbable riddle-themed podcasts, brain benders delivered intravenously, and good old-fashioned mind games. I'm Mark Flintson Meyer, rational enough to walk with the same number of legs no matter what time of day it is.
0: I'm Erica Spires, trying to make sure everybody has a chance to show what they're really good at.
2: And I'm Brian Hurt, and I think the real riddle here is, what have I got in my pockets?
3: Adel, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Adel Rafai, and I love riddles
1: and escape rooms and puzzles and and riddles and you are the second member of the Ho from the magic tavern family to appear on here tim sniffen being the first being one of our favorite guests so far so totally you got to beat him oh well no <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's no. the puzzle i'm setting it up for you
3: it's <laughs> a puzzle be be better than this person riddle <laughs> Or give us one of that those sucks. hey riddle riddle riddles, and then yeah.
2: we'll just sit in awkward silence for a full hour trying to figure it out because there's no way.
3: Oh, I forgot to say I was I've guessed it on a McElroy podcast, so if you guys could be better than them, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, that is that cool. That's the goal. Otherwise, I'm ready to bounce.
1: Actually, I do have a a warm up riddle of my invention that will be expository. So, what is something that Adil and I and Someone recovering from two broken arms and one broken leg. What do all those things have in common? <sighs> is this for everyone or just this for This is me? for everyone.
3: Someone recovering from two broken arms and one broken leg. What do they have in common as well as you and I? So that means they have one working leg. They're on their last foot. <laughs> <laughs> the other way. Ignore the one working thing. Oh, great. Um, they're out on three limbs. Any idea? Three broken limbs. They're recovering from the- anybody else. Want to hop in here? Please do. Three
1: broken limbs. What might you have on your on your broken three limbs? casts? Ah, oh, there three you go. Three cast mates. Oh. oh, podcast. You're on a cast of three. Well, it's that we, Four, we are actually. we are tricasters. So I have <sighs> partially examined life, pretty much pop, nakedly examined music, and addle has Hello from Magic Cavern, Hey Riddle Riddle, and Siblings Peculiar. Yeah, so very I, cool. I like that a lot.
0: Very nice, Mark.
1: And also, we're on our last leg. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, trouble wiping ourselves, that would have also worked. I'm sure there are many other <laughs> two broken arm jokes that one could make. I don't know if you can't shower, but you haven't showered in a while. Though I guess I'm the
2: one wearing a baseball hat right now, so who am I to point fingers? Showering with plastic bags? That's right. That's right, I guess <laughs> you actually can shower with a cast.
3: Howard Hughes style.
2: All right, we've gone off the rails just as quickly as one of your podcasts.
3: Oh, perfect. That is kind of part of one of the... Thank those... you for that backhanded compliment. <laughs> that
0: They're is really part... good at them, Adal. They're very good at the yeah. backhanded compliment.
3: Person I have not met yet.
2: Adal, <laughs> <laughs> meet Brian and Erica and me. That's right. Well, and I have to admit, I'm basing this on having listened to just a few of them, so I don't really know your format yet, and that's just based on Hey Riddle Riddle. So I wasn't aware of your whole... Oh, no, you nailed it. Well... I guess Hello from the Magic Tavern I've listened to as well. I guess I wasn't keying in on how, who all the different people were on that one. So
1: Okay. Well, Adel disguises his voice pretty thoroughly on Hello from the Magic Tavern because he's a shapeshifter and yeah. his voice... Man, what a treat to be on this show, y'all. I don't know <laughs> if that's... Uh, to take that sincerely,
3: we'll figure we'll just insults from strangers. What a
0: And the, me saying nothing, just shaking my head in the background. By the
2: time <laughs> we're done, it'll be insults from friends. All right, Mark, what are we talking about today?
1: So I was just, well, of course, I'm just a fan of Adel's work. And so I I wanted an excuse to get him on here. And we were talking about topics to do. And this whole idea of, you know, we've talked about in entertainment, different comedies, different dramas. We understand why someone would want to feel catharsis or would want to laugh. But what is the actual role of feeling puzzled? And isn't that a weird thing for mass media or media of any sort to want to serve that you what I mean there are some films that I noted the film Midnight Madness that played on HBO constantly when I got it when I was 11 years old where it's some sort of scavenger hunt and you're kind of thinking along with the characters of what could the answer to this riddle be like so there are a few things like that and there's some key points in other films where this plays some sort of role but for the most you know Harry Potter they're but it's unclear like what exactly is your role you know certainly a more direct way of serving this is to have something like escape rooms, which Adel is somewhat of an expert in that actually involve you in a way that tabletop gaming does or something. Do you want to say a little, Adel, about sort of the appeal of escape rooms? What what got you into this?
0: How does one become an expert in escape rooms?
3: That's something I want to address right away is uh, that's very kind of you to say an expert. I think it's mostly so it's along the same way that people call me like a foodie, which I think has a negative connotation. I'm not a foodie in that I know a ton about food or can cook or anything. It's just that I'm willing to spend a lot of my disposable income on food. Um, so same with escape rooms. I've done maybe 70 some escape rooms, but it's still, I mean, everyone you walk into, I, I still miss a lot of things and I still flounder here and there. Unlike a, you know, accounting or something, your, your years don't carry with you in escape rooms. <laughs> but I am passionate about them and I, I love them. Um What I really enjoy about them is it just feels like, I mean, I grew up, when you talk about movies, I grew up watching like The Game. Did you ever see that? Michael Douglas, Sean Penn. Loved
2: it. Mark saw it at my house when he was visiting town.
0: Yeah, we saw it. That has left an impression for years on me.
3: Oh man, one of the most underrated movies of all, of all time, along with Copland. But I, I feel like The Game... And games like Mist and Bioshock and Silent Hill, like I just love this very atmospheric, puzzle-centric, any sort of media like that. And so getting into improv, as I got into improv as I got older, I love this idea of like as a group trying to accomplish something. So it's not about the individual. It's about the group mind or everyone working together and effective communication and all that jazz. I think Escape Rooms really put on display a group dynamic really well and really show how you fit into any group and how you can handle pressure. So I just, I love the feeling of being locked in a room for an hour with friends and then seeing what emerges in terms of like someone screaming at you and barking orders, someone shutting down. some you know, I, I think it's such a wonderful, almost like prison experiment. What's the... The Stanford prison experiment. Stanford prison experiment. You know, it's just interesting to see what roles people take on. And it's as much important for me to be amongst friends or people I feel comfortable with as it is that's a good room. So... I've been in bad rooms with good friends and had the absolute best time.
0: Two questions. What is the role that you normally play in an escape room? And does that seem to change depending on which friends are there? Or are you always kind of the anchor of whatever that is?
3: It does depend on who's with me. Typically, I'd say half the time I become like the de facto leader, just in terms of the leader typically keeps track of everything you found. And tries to have that connective tissue between like, oh, this goes here and this means that. But when I play with people like I know several escape room creators and I know several people who are like Mensa level brilliant. So like Sandy Weiss or Max Temkin or uh, Tommy Ranges, Kitty Depero. There's people who are just like absolutely geniuses. So when I play with them, I'm more of like I can reach stuff. (laughs) Like I'm like, I'm six foot two. Do you need me to grab this up here? And they're like, yes. you ape? And I'm like, yes, done. Um, So it absolutely depends on who I'm with and the dynamic there.
2: Edel, are you familiar with the Bay Area Race Fantastique? It was an event out in... Sounds like a serial killer. uh, It was called BARF. That's what it stands for. And it was an event out in the Bay Area in California that Midnight Madness was actually based on, this all-night treasure hunt. I remember reading about it in Games Magazine back in the day. Oh, man. And I have a stack of Games Magazine behind me right now. I have a T-shirt in my closet that no longer fits me for writing in with an alternate solution that they published. So that's, uh yeah, that's those are pretty much the laurels I'm resting on for the rest of my life. But I was actually invited to participate with some people who were so smart, I was too intimidated to do it. So it it was like really this exciting idea about doing an all night midnight madness type thing, but I had heard descriptions of it, and I thought, yeah, I'm just gonna be dead weight, so
3: that's wild. I will say at some point though I forget there's a term for it, but not being a genius, I forget it. There's something funny about like I've done escape rooms with like someone like Sandy Weiss or like I said uh, folks like that, where it's like there is written on the wall on a chart or a poster, it says like sodium, and suddenly. They will be like, I've literally had people who see, you know, sodium on the wall, and they say, great, so the atomic weight of sodium is 3.21, and they start to go on this, down this rabbit hole of, like, excess knowledge, and the whole time, the idea was sodium means salt, so you're supposed to look over your shoulder or something, right? Or whatever that is, right? Or you're supposed to pinch something, because it says sodium, pinch of salt. So it is funny to be the sort of dumbest one in the room, but be the one who sees the solution, Versus someone who's like beautiful minding it and totally (laughs) up. So I come in handy with brilliant people as well. Do you keep track of your success rate in these things? Do you keep
2: stats? Are you interested in that at all?
3: I do. I have a spreadsheet. I did lose my original spreadsheet. So there's like 18 games, 20 games that I'm trying to remember and piece back together where they were. But I have about 50 or so in a document with a location, theme of the room, and then win or loss.
0: Where do you live and like where where are the majority of the escape rooms you've been to?
3: I'm in Chicago. The majority I've done are Chicago, New York, LA. But honestly, anywhere I go now, within the last two, three years, anywhere I go, there's an escape room. So I search them out and go. So I was just in Santa Fe recently and they had like eight. And I'm like, Santa Fe has like, what is happening? I was just in Houston to specifically do four rooms in like a 48-hour period. So they're popping up. Everywhere. Some of them are chains, and some of them, they buy their riddles from other larger companies. But for the most part, they all have their own mustard on the ball, which is kind of cool.
1: Mark, have you done one yet? I I did not. I was really trying to get it together and do one for today. So instead of that, I put a lot of thought into the notes document to expand the scope so that I would not have to have done one.
0: He knew what his part was. He did it well.
1: (laughs) Mark, are you like a disc jockey? No.
3: Oh, just from the video, it's, you're in like a basement full of CDs. I'm a
1: musician. So yes, that oh, is the, okay. that is the source of the audio expertise that got me going on this, the audio minimal competence that got me going on podcasting yeah. in the first place. Very cool. Have any, has anybody else done escape rooms? Yeah. What was
3: your experience? Have you just done one? Have you done several? I have
0: done, I guess I've just done two. And I have a game that I tried, like one of the tabletop games for uh, escape rooms. So here's my experience. Number one, I really, really like them and I would happily go again. The first one I went to, I feel like escape rooms had just become a thing. And it was really fancy. It was in Boston and there was a huge group of us. And I think there were too many of us and nobody quite understood what we were doing. So some of the stuff we accomplished there was a room with like lasers and you had to like go all around them. Catherine and- zeta
3: Jones your way through, yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah, but there were too many of us and people kept hitting them and then like I think we lost but like nothing specifically told us we lost. It just kind of like fizzled out. Yeah. Um that wasn't super successful, but it was still fun. And then um that was like a spy game and then I did Hoodwinked in Harlem and had a great time at Hoodwinked.
3: Based on the wildly successful uh, animated movie?
0: That's right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I really like that Romeo and Juliet themed one. I, that was cool. <laughs> I'm a Sherlock Gnomes fan myself.
0: It was like half friends and half people I didn't really know. So yeah. that actually went really well. And then the game we tried, we tried with a group of friends and it did not go well. Like we definitely lost... This is the tabletop one? Exactly. I think there were like three levels within the game that you had to accomplish within an hour. And part of it was I think we had too many people, like it suggested up to six, and I think we had eight. So there were too many people trying to hold on to the items and figure out what to look for. And so the people who might have actually understood it didn't get their hands on it in enough time. And there wasn't a great exchange of information. But I still have it.
3: Oh, that's great. Some of those are really good. Some of them are very poorly done. I think you've touched upon the two bookends of like issues with escape rooms. One is that the worst thing to have happen is if you have too many people and the room or what they suggest for you leads to like bottlenecking. The absolute worst feeling is to be standing in a semicircle around one person while they alone work on something. And it's like, why did they not think about the involvement of others? And another thing that you touched upon is the idea that you do well, but then you don't even know if you've won or lost. Like I did one in Houston where we were dashing around trying to figure this stuff out. We had like 22 minutes left. And then all of a sudden we opened a door and we were out in the hallway. And yes. then like 10 seconds yes. later, somebody got up from behind the desk and was like, Oh, sorry, you did it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and they're like, sorry, I was on the uh, monitors over here. Uh, you got out. And we're like, how? And they're like, well, here's the story, and it's like I don't want to hear the story from you. The room should have told me a story.
1: Exactly. This
3: is obnoxious. <laughs> um, those are several of the problems. I also have issue. It sounds like you had a great time with strangers, but I've had several instances working with people who I didn't know. It's just hard because if they are we able to curse on this podcast? Uh, definitely. You. It's mandatory. Oh, fucking perfect. If somebody fucks up and they're your friend, you laugh it off and it becomes like a story. If somebody fucks up and they're a stranger. You're livid for days, or at least I am. So I've done rooms where it's like, I found the word map. Everyone try a lock with map or or try a lock with three, two, four, one. And everyone does and nothing opens. And then 20 minutes later, some guy who said he tried the number was like, oh, I thought you said four, two, eight, one. And the lock opens and you're like, you piece of shit. Like, I hope you die alone. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry your kid's here, but uh, obviously he doesn't love you. So it just becomes this whole thing of you want to be around people you you care about and that you can have fun getting upset with and then shrug it off versus people
1: you will will carry that grudge with forever. I'm an intense person. (laughs) Well, this whole idea of ego involving being puzzled. I mean, I would think in a a group setting, kind of like group trivia, if you end up kind of backbenching it, it's not a big deal because you've not actively positively screwed up something. You just maybe have not contributed as much as you would have liked.
0: Which is totally fine. I, I do trivia every week, and I always feel like if you don't know, just don't say anything. Oh, yeah. Quit muddying the waters.
1: <laughs> Muddy waters. B.B. King. That was it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not and 10, I noticed- howling wolf. I mean, the great thing about the Hey Riddle Riddle podcast, so just to give some background for listeners, this is one of the three hosts or your guest maybe, or people mail in, comes in with a bunch of, you just search for old riddle books, old, you know, search online, search. It's just, a lot of these are, are purposefully very out of date, you know, because <laughs> I think the golden age of writing riddle books might've been the fifties or something.
3: <laughs> it is a lot of like, we'll be reading one and then three lines in, it'll be like, Thomas then grabbed the floppy disk and put it inside his <laughs> kitchen-sized computer, and we're like, "Oh,
1: wait a minute!" <laughs> and so then you guys try to answer them, or the you know the other two people. But so much of the joy of it is that you don't just immediately get it, right? It would be a very boring fast podcast. I was looking at reviews of you online, and people, uh, you know, if somebody says, "Kind of," I can't believe that. I was expecting a a no nonsense presentation of these brain challenges so that I could play along with you. But so much of the fun, you know, this is to get at the the interaction between improv on the one hand where there's no right answer or, you know, there are more optimal answers than others. And there's similar sideways thinking in what makes for a good joke makes for good improv. Versus giving the correct answer to the answer that the riddle constructor had in mind. Um, and yeah. so, so much of the fun of the podcast is people answering wrong. That's what, you know, makes it able to last an hour. Mark,
3: if I may, the solution is the fun we had along the way. <laughs> Does that make sense? No. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys know Hollywood Handbook? Just through your guys. It's a comedy podcast. But we had a guy named Hayes Davenport, who's a improviser, screenwriter, really, really funny, nice dude. But we had him on and in like the span of five minutes, he answered like 10 riddles. And it, I think on break, we were like, just so you know, like, feel free to not <laughs> feel free to not get it right. And he's like, what? And it's like, we only have a finite amount of riddles. We should probably uh pump the brakes. And he's like, oh, yes, of course. Like we want to ha- do scenes and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It is funny. The discrepancy between. In an escape room, you're obviously, like you said, you want the right answer. You want to get out. You want to be successful. But in the format that I've created, it's way more about what does the riddle lead to in terms of conversation or any sort of tangents or any sort of fun that we can milk out of it. Yeah, I'd hate using the term milk out of it, but it happened and now I doubled down on it.
0: Joaquin Phoenix is not happy with <laughs> you right now. <laughs> um.
2: I will say yours is the first podcast in a long time, maybe ever. I don't know where I've actually had to pause and, and write stuff down because those anagrams, you know, that's like, well, I was driving. I'm like, oh, I'm going to stop and, and come back because yeah. if you're really serious and you want to take a shot at it, I don't know, I can't do those in my head. And sometimes people will say, well, well I'll let you pause and go do this. I'm like, yeah, I'm not pausing. I'm driving. I'll, I'm just going to power through. But for the riddles, that's just a really different kind of thing in terms of engaging and maybe just for visual... People That was kind
3: of a neat thing, oh good, yeah it's been a godsend for people to write in a lot of our fans have written like bespoke riddles or anagrams or any sort of you know uh, lateral thinking problems, which has been incredible. I think there is something funny about when we first started the concept I had was like what's a podcast I want to listen to, and the podcast I want to listen to is I love escape the rooms as we mentioned, I love lateral thinking problems I love puzzles, riddles, so I was like i don't think there's a podcast about that, and I want something that is entertaining, but engages me where I can be on the train and be like, I'm currently solving a riddle and nobody around me knows it. What a secret. But it is funny. Like When we started, we got a lot of gaming enthusiasts or riddle heads, as we call them. And then they slowly realized that it's more about sticking around and having fun and and whatever that is. And we had a lot of people early on who didn't like that it was a lot of riddles and who came back to us when they found out it was just kind of more fun and dicking around. So it is an interesting, we've settled in on our core audience, but it was a journey and and it was interesting to see people misconstrue what we were going to be, or even ourselves give a false advertisement.
1: Have you thought of actually changing the name of the podcast to Hey Riddle Riddle parentheses dicking around? Yeah. (laughs) Because if you're not doing it, we're
2: taking dicking around. Yeah. You have your shot at it. And if not, it's ours. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: That's my Charles Dickens podcast.
1: <laughs> if we're everyday
3: for a year we read um you know I don't know, fucking
1: And then a year
2: David of the Nixon tapes every year a yeah. new day. Well so
1: I I don't think it's a coincidence that you're also the pun guy. I don't know, I'm just constantly irritating my family with not necessarily coming up with full-fledged puns, but merely thinking of a different way to parse those words that were just said and then it becomes a puzzle as to how to actually like Make that into an actual joke so that someone will smile and not just be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Uh Mark, I
2: hate to correct you, but it's not just your family. But continue. Oh, no.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely, my brain is like a broken steam-powered machine that I just can't help but like play with words all the time. My brain is always doing something wrong. It's just a broken lump. But it is something where even puns that came from like books as kids that were like, riddles where the answers were puns, or just sitting reading a book and being like, what can I do with these words? How could I make this book funnier from being bored, whatever that is. And that's just carried with me today, where even at any given time, there's a thousand puns I'm not saying, but still a dozen escape my lips every hour to the um, displeasure of everyone around me.
0: Is this exhausting for you?
3: Yeah, it can be for sure. <laughs> it's not only puns, but it's also just like connections in terms of like, I consume so much pop culture that, you know, even earlier when you said muddy the waters, immediately in my mind's eye, I pictured muddy waters. And from there, it was like a branching out diagram of other blues musicians and then an overlap Venn diagram of like who was a contemporary with muddy waters. So it just becomes this like mental game I play that I played as a child and now I can't turn off.
2: So you're beautiful minding it in your own way to talk about well, what you mentioned before, but it's a different ty- different kinds of connections. But still, you're you're doing
3: that. Yeah, it's beautiful minding, but I mean, beautiful should be swapped out for like a less attractive word. <laughs> tolerable minding. Yes, <laughs> a yeah. tolerable mind. I'm dad bod minding it.
0: You must be good at crosswords, then, as well. I'm good at lateral thinking. I'm not great. I'm not great at retaining information for the long term. I'm good at like, I'm an actor. So like I could retain it for the audition. It's like studying for a test. Right. And then once it's done, you're like, okay, new thing. But when it comes to connections, I tend to be really good at that. And the trivia we play every week, the stuff I'm really good at is the final round, which they give you three words that would not normally go together and you have to figure out the tie between them. I like that it's a lot. so much fun. And I don't always know it, but it at least gets your brain going towards, okay, is this something inherent in all of them? Or is this yeah. a word that is related to all of them?
3: That I love. And it, that's interesting to me because I've done some trivia nights. There's some I dislike in terms of some of it tends to be, you have to have the pre-existing knowledge. Exactly. So if it's, you know, who won the 400 meter men's dash in the 96 Atlanta Olympics, you either know that or you don't, right? There's no amount of like, Sitting on it where you can suss or tease out an answer, but with a riddle or a lateral thinking problem or what you just mentioned with enough time and focus and maybe being inspired by others, you can figure that out. And that's what I love. And that to me, when we're talking about improv, it's all about connections, right? So improv to me, the reason I love it so much is because somebody says something to me. And then I get a map in my brain of like possible answers. And I have to try and kind of select the best path that I think will lead to the highest success rate. I think in improv, we talk about, you can say anything. It's like improv is a blank piece of paper and a pen, but it's more of like, you know, someone's drawn waves on a piece of paper and a sun and a boat. And from there, you have to fill in three gaps or something, right? It's not do or say anything. It's connections. It's saying based on what's happened, based on the look someone gives me, based on the context. What is the best possible thing I can say? But within that, you have autonomy to make a lot of choices about specifics, which I love. I did a scene the other night where, you know, I said, like, go to your room or something. Or I, I said something to someone and they're like, you're not my dad. And I'm like, "No, I'm your stepdad. But one day, you know, so that idea of like, based on everything that happened, I'm not their dad, but I am a parental figure. I must be their stepdad. That's why they call me Scott or whatever. So I, I think it is a more veiled riddle in terms of trying to make connections and and suss out what's happening
0: right that's also like the appeal of escape rooms right it's like trying to figure out what everybody's good at and allowing them to do that which is why i think i tend to be more of like a curator type i'm happy to try to solve a riddle but i more so know like okay this person's really good at figuring out symbology and this person's really good at do you do
3: escape rooms with dan brown <laughs> <Simpology>.
0: <laughs> yeah
2: let's pretend that's a thing sure I think
0: like I'm happy to like sit back and like kind of help guide people rather than actually answer the thing it was funny the one most successful one that we did the funny part was at the end of it my husband and I both kind of like sat out a little bit because our friend was like really into everything she wanted yeah. to be in in the middle of everything and we got at the end and we were successful in it And she goes, oh, my God, that was so much fun. And I don't really think that we had too many people. I felt like I got to answer a lot of stuff. And her sister (laughs) looks at her and she just gave her this look. And Danny goes, what? And she goes, yeah, because you were the one pushing everybody out of the way. (laughs) And we all had a good laugh and it was fine. But like, we still had a good time. But it is funny to see like how people really show their personalities within those rooms.
3: It brings out the best in people. and It's to tie it back to Dickens. It brings out the best in people and the worst in people. Tell two cities, but it's a fun thing of <laughs>
0: what use. was that again? What was that book?
3: Tell Two Cities. Little little known classic. But it is funny in terms of you see people like you mentioned yourself sort of curating an experience to be like, Why don't you two work on that? We have this. Look around the room for this. Everyone look for a clue, you know, which help involve everyone. And those are sort of macro overseers, which I really enjoy. Or you have the people who have to touch everything. In the micro where they're just Tasmanian deviling their way across being like, I mean, I've had stuff where I find a piece of paper in a desk and I'm holding it and someone's yanked it out of my hands before I read word one. And they're like, sorry, I wanted to help you with this. I'm like, what are you doing? So it is funny to see people's personalities on full display, which is why I also love like immersive theater. So I've gone to sleep no more. If you're aware of that in New York, I've gone to see that nine times. And that's something that's definitely a Stanford prison experiment where people wear masks. And you can't see anybody's face. The audience member wears masks. And people just, like, fuck in dark corners. People, like, grab stuff and smash it against windows. Like, everyone turns insane because they're like, there's no consequences. I can't be seen. It's the purge. But at the same time, there's, like, beautiful connections being made and beautiful pieces of theater happening and dance. And these sort of one-on-ones with the actors that are really cool and, and nice storytelling. So, I do like this sort of the pendulous swing of what escape rooms or immersive theater brings out in people or improv.
1: You know, I'm going to stop us here for a little ad break. Pretty much pop is brought to you by you. I mean, not you specifically, because if you were already financially supporting the podcast, you would be listening to our ad free feed and would not be hearing me say this. Now you may or may not know that for every single episode, we do a little after talk where we give our initial thoughts, our mini-treatments of new potential topics, and sometimes we may continue with our guest, and we did that very successfully with this current guest, Adel Rafai. such that we want to share that with you. Now, if you're listening to this episode right away on the Pretty Much Pop feed, the only way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash prettymuchpop, which for a mere $1 will get you access to the bonus content for nearly every episode to date. However, in this case, we're going to be releasing that bonus content to the public on Tuesday, March 10th. But here's the trick, you're only going to hear that if you actually go subscribe to the Pretty Much Pop feed itself. In other words, I want you to go to prettymuchpop.com or look up Pretty Much Pop on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're just listening to this episode say on the Partially Examined Life feed or you're seeing it at openculture.com, those are wonderful cross-promotional opportunities for us, but if you like this podcast, want to make sure you're getting all the episodes, you're getting them earlier, than they'll be showing up in these other places. And please go subscribe. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a nice rating, a nice review. The long-term production of this podcast is dependent on us generating our own following on our own feed and getting the podcast that way is, of course, absolutely free. So thank you for listening. Sorry about the interruption. Let's get back to the discussion.
0: Wait, and Brian, have you done it?
2: I have. I've done a, a Harry Potter themed one at a science fiction con. It was really fun. I'm seeing a, something, a commonality maybe across what we're talking about between escape rooms and this theater experience and improv also. And it's this bend, don't break type approach to how you do it because you your theater experience you described really isn't the purge. You, you can't kill anyone. You can do these things, but there's a limit to what you, you can do. And in escape room, you have to like all come to this agreement that you're going to play by the rules insofar as, well, This clearly needs to be solved by manipulation. I can break it, but I'm not going to, right? All these conventions that you're playing by, but, and you have to stick with them and you want to sort of push them to their edges because you don't know how clever you're going to be asked to be. It's like, well, it's paper. Oh, there are scissors. Apparently, I guess I can cut this, whereas this wooden lacquered box, I, I can't break it, right? And so to know like, kind of where that that line is, uh, I guess with, with improv, it's the same thing. It really only is funny if you're tweaking and you're kind of finding the edges of the situation. But to blow it up, it's not any good anymore.
3: So Yeah, I like that expression of finding the edges. And I, I think something that's very important to me that I think also should be mentioned in terms of why I enjoy this stuff so much is the idea of the group effort. Like I've never done stand up and I never will because that's one person alone succeeding or failing. I don't like to play video games that are versus like I don't like to play online Call of Duty or Mortal Kombat or something where it's like there's a winner and a loser. I want something that's all of us versus an external force. I want something where there's no, you know, if I lose, we all lose kind of thing. So I don't know what that says about me, but that you don't to like me, conflict. Yes. Thank you. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I think there's something to needing to have a group community experience that's so important to me that other adjacent sort of plays don't provide me in terms of sports or whatever else that might be. There's something in terms of like bend up break that some of the most thrilling escape room experiences I've had, there's one in New York and one in LA. One gives you a pair of like wire cutters as like scenery dressing as just sort of like to give a vibe in the room. And there's a chain door with a lock on it. And there literally is no key for that lock. So what you have to do that we eventually did after like 30 hours of hemming and hawing was to use the wire cutters or bolt cutters to snap the chain to cut it off. And that was something that was thrilling to me because my Midwestern persona was like, I do not want to break these people's room. And then later the person was like, yeah, you're supposed to cut that chain. Like, that's what you do. And I'm like, that's insane. And then one in LA, I literally had to stick a fork in a socket. But again, I couldn't get over the mental hurdle. Of like, this surely isn't a thing. And there's an actor in the room. And I kept saying, and the actor is playing a a mute. And I kept saying, like, if I'm not supposed to do this, you legally have to stop me. And the person would walk away. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Like, on one hand, I'm having so much fun and I want to get out. On the other hand, like, what an awful way to die that's going to (laughs) make headlines. But I eventually did it. And you put the fork in the socket and the socket falls down and there's a key behind it. So those moments that you do break instead of bends are very rare but when they do happen i think it is somewhat thrilling and memorable if not you know sweat inducing
1: i tried in lieu of actually going to an escape room looking on youtube at people playing escape rooms and there are there are a few mm. even excised down here's an hour long escape room and we're presenting it in a 10 minute experience with lots of music and thing and it's still pretty tedious to watch that which it makes it obvious to me why the films that are kind of about comparable experiences Almost inevitably our horror film. I did watch the film Escape Room, which is. How was it? It, it's kind of better than one would expect that kind of movie to be. But if you think too hard about it, it doesn't make any sense. I don't want to spoil it, but it's oh, like well, for God's <laughs> sake, spoil it. Mark. <laughs> it turns out to be an elaborate version of like hostile. In other words, this whole thing is done for the amusement of, of rich people that are watching on camera somewhere that are never spelled out and have a giant, you know, organization behind them that will kill you if you expose their evil plan. So it's really just a torture sort of thing, like soft. I was wondering, so what actually one of those early ones, if you guys seen the movie Cube? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So I, I enjoyed that kind of goofy movie, you know, it, it had a good shtick to it of, it's again, it's one of these group experiences. And well, if we go this way into the neighboring cube, we'll burn up. And if we'll go that and we'll try to figure out, but the actual problem solving involved in these things is very limited. Like we figured out that the numbers, when you enter a new cube or the letters, indicate the coordinates of the cube. Like that's the only thing. <laughs> What a genius. And so I actually then, <laughs> in preparation of this, watch Cube Zero, the third one in the series, the prequel, which one of the characters is described as like a savant that he's playing chess early on. And he kind of, they do like beautiful mind sort of like picturing the different moves. And then he can just move them really quick. And this is just one of those things that in a film, they just have to tell you that this person is brilliant because they can't actually yeah. show you in any convincing <laughs> way. The screenwriters are not smart yeah. enough. In the script, it says, he's Bobby Fischer-esque. And it's like, what? Well, Mark,
2: what I think you've gotten at is that watching problem solving isn't interesting. I mean, doing it is so engaging that, you know, you lose track of time and I can be bored during what, what should be an interesting movie if it's not interesting enough and it's only an hour and a half long. Whereas I can be playing a game on the computer and... Six hours will go by, but my I'm processing completely differently and it's all going on internally and I'm figuring things out. And if someone would be watching that, like, dude, what are you doing with your time? This is crazy. This is so boring. And you're doing this and you're going to get that and you're crafting or whatever and trying to figure out how to get through this thing. I think at all, it's why the the humor is such a key ingredient to what you're doing, because people will try to solve along with you. But even if they don't want to engage at that level, at least they can laugh along with you.
3: Oh, yeah. Thank you.
0: When we were prepping for this and reading some of the reasons why people like this kind of thing, it reminded me, like, I love watching mysteries. I love watching, like, thriller mysteries. And I have become a very annoying person to watch those with because I like to say out loud why I think something is happening and what's going to happen later. And
3: Oh, Yeah. Because if you're right, then you look, even if you have three wrong guesses, if you have one correct, you feel great and you feel like you've gotten the respect of your peers. I'm guilty of it too. But anytime I watch Jeopardy with like a group of friends, somebody will shout out the answer and then repeat it like four times as if the person on TV can't hear them. Like you've, like <laughs> Brett Easton Ellis, Brett Easton Ellis. Uh, uh. it, it's, a, it's a whole display of like, I need everyone to know how smart I am. And also, I need to get mad at the TV that's not, you know, hearing my, you know, again, I'm guilty of it, too. But there is something that's so satisfying to, I think it harkens back to, like, mythology and and early literature of, like, that's the reason why there's riddles. On the hero's journey, there's riddles, and it's to test, like, you know, mental agility. So versus, like, I can just Hulk smash my way through anything, that idea of, like, there's something more to be had, or there's, like, deeper complexities
1: to being a human and part of that is like a, the test of mental agility. Let me just think about the relationship between those two things though, is the equivalent of Hulk smashing mentally is doing something algorithmically. And I find, especially if I'm in a video game or something and I know like, come on, I just want to punch more stuff. I don't necessarily want to figure out what order to ring the stupid bells in or whatever the thing, you know, that I have to do to get to the next area. Then it will just be. What game are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> like God of War, for instance, <laughs> for whom the bell tolls,
3: the game, <laughs> like a Croft, Marcus Tomb raiding.
1: So it'll get very algorithmic. That that's kind of where yeah. I feel most comfortable. Which also is not a very good group activity. Like if your algorithm is, I'm going to go around in the escape room and feel everything. Like yeah, yeah, that's just you doing that. Or you could try to order everybody around. But like it's hard to coordinate. I guess I'm unclear as to whether so. I've only listened since I've been listening with my daughter to your riddles podcast. So that oh becomes no. a, like a social thing. How old's your daughter? She's 16. So it's good. Okay, <laughs> yeah.
0: okay. it's fine. She's it's fine. five.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. You probably a had to have many father. conversations
1: afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. She, <laughs> she hears worse at school. Sweetie. Here's what a perverted duck is. <laughs> So we've only listened up to episode 13 or something like that because you can't binge with another person. And I haven't started my long distance trucking company with my daughter yet. Yeah. That would be, be in the car for that long. <laughs> um, do you feel like having done what, 60, some of these now we're about to release our 83rd episode, 83. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do you feel like, wow, I've in fact, pretty quickly, it seems like the types of lateral thinking that are available. Yeah. This is again, excluding like knowledge of trivia. Like there's always more trivia that one could bring in. One could know how old fashioned post office boxes work or whatever these things that a particular riddle might involve offensively that you might say, how the hell could you expect? <laughs> like you expect a riddle to just be a raw measure of intelligence, but given, you know, those raw measures of intelligence, it seems like there's a pretty limited number of ways. Like, okay, I'm considering the word. Am I considering the letters in the word? Am I considering the number of letters in the word? Like that you could kind of actually get algorithmic about it after a while.
3: Yeah, I do think you start to compartmentalize that there are the same types of riddles over and over. And if you kind of check each box when you hear a riddle of it, like, is it this type? No. Is it this type? Is it is it homonyms? Is it this? Is it that? So I think you can start to... Distinguish that there's three or four camps that every riddle falls into. I think obviously we're still having fun with it, but I think there is something to when people write their own riddles and they're somewhat broken. I think that's enjoyable. Or we found some riddle books that just have the most wild premise that you can't possibly, <laughs> you couldn't possibly um, come to that conclusion. Like they're, they're absolutely impossible to f- solve on your own. You just have to read it and then groan. I agree with you there that there's sort of a finite way to package them. I do enjoy something like recently we did one where it's not really a riddle, but there's something where it's like you have two minutes to name an animal for every letter of the alphabet. Go. So something like that I think is probably going to sneak its way into the show more and more is just these more sort of mental Olympics than it is like a Agatha Christie novel. So this idea of based on what knowledge you already have, here's a sort of format that I'm giving you or stipulations. And within that, you need to fill in the blank or, or slot in for X.
0: Right. I think similar to like a crossword puzzle or something, right? If there's a limited number of ways that they can write a clue Yeah, and you eventually get really good at it, then it's less about how to solve the crossword and more about how quickly you can solve it, which yeah. is, I think, probably why escape rooms are really fun for a lot of very smart people because then they can start timing themselves. You know, a lot of people finish escape rooms before the allotted time is done. Then it becomes who did it the fastest. And that's something that you can always, I think, improve upon.
3: Absolutely. And there's something to like the flavoring of it. Like you said, Brian, that you did a Harry Potter one. I've never done a Harry Potter one and would love to. So this idea of even if it was very similar riddles or puzzles, if the flavor is something I'm interested in, that I think that's always going to pique my interest. I'm always going to be looking for, you know, if there's a nautical one versus an Egyptian one, I think there's always the packaging can always be a different shiny color. That's going to pique my interest for sure.
2: Just to comment on that one, to get out, the final thing was having to wave the wand in a certain way. It was really, and it had a motion sensor in it. There was a TV screen that was capturing the tip of the wand. It was really fun. That was a, a neat piece. Adel, I guess it never really occurred to me that these riddles would fall into different taxonomies that you could identify. Maybe I can let you know what my favorite one is and you can tell me what yeah, kind please. of riddle it is. Okay. What do you and Mark and someone with two broken? <laughs> <laughs> Nevermind.
1: The callback. <laughs> That's the type. Uh-huh. Improv. I see what you did there, sir. Winner, winner. Name types of riddles that would make Harry Potter embarrassed. Name 10 of them. Go. No. Tom Riddle. <laughs> I'm out. Uh... Nailed it. Any last, so I guess, related stuff, maybe as a way to get us into the final stretch here. So I was trying to think about if you were designing an escape room or designing a related live action puzzle experience. I, I realized that I haven't been in an actual escape room, but I've done a couple things with my kids where there's like this thing in the Dells called Magic Quest where they give you a, an electronic yeah. wand at the beginning. and You run around the hotel and you poke at it stuff and it kind of asks you. So there's some riddles involved in that. It's just not as claustrophobic. <laughs> I've heard from so many people that that thing is slightly outdated, but magical. Yes, if you if you want to see little, like you poke at the thing, and then like a fairy comes on the screen and says, "That's wonderful, you <laughs> uh, But that is kind of like the. I, I guess I was reading. Maybe escape rooms evolved out of escape the room type video games, which I'd never heard this expression before. But you mentioned mist before, of you know where you have a very limited set of. Things that you could do that this seems to distinguish it from escape room. You know, it's sort of the difference between live action role playing and computer role playing, especially if you're in like a mist where what can you do? You can touch stuff. You basically click around to be like, what in here has anything? (laughs) Yes. And then unless you have to like set a number sequence or something like that, okay, probably you could just do it algorithmically. Where's Waldo style in terms of, but sort of embracing all the possibilities of, you know, variations on live action escape room type things. Have you thought like at all? Have you thought about if you were designing one, what kind of things would you or have you done too many? And so that kind of ruins the like every time I think of something, it's it's already been something I've experienced or
3: I'm definitely not jaded by escape rooms, so I'm always I'm still in their thrall, so I'm I'm very excited to do more. My two thoughts in terms of like what's impressed me most or what's maybe lacking that I would like to see people do. One is more isolating the members. So I've done one room where I had to get into a coffin, it shut behind me and locked, and I was led into a separate room. I did this with Arnie and Matt from Magic Tavern. So at one point, all three of us were in different rooms and we couldn't get to each other, but we had to like solve stuff that required all of us to work together through the intercom or whatever. More rooms that involve isolating members and trusting that you'll figure out a way to work together to get out. That to me is the whole purpose of the escape room is that idea of connecting with the people you're with, working together. And like you said, not one person scrambling to touch everything and then feeling great about themselves while everybody else rolls their eyes. <laughs> some of the cooler things I've done is like there's an escape room in Champaign-Urbana that's run by two of my friends It's some of the best escape rooms I've done called Adventures in Time and Space. And they did a room where I think it's done now, so I'll spoil it. But they did a room where part of it was you have to hold hands across a, a wall. I can't remember if it was like an electric current or something, but you have to kind of literally hold hands with your teammates And that's how you kind of defeat the final moment. So stuff like that where it requires everyone's participation versus one person can do it on their own. The other thing I would love to see and that I might do if I ever have the opportunity is more immersive theater in escape room. I think that's a new element that's going to cause a little bit of just bring that new shine to it is the idea of you can't account for what people are going to say or do. So I've done maybe two escape rooms with immersive theater elements. One of them was recently in Houston called Strange Bird. And the whole idea for the escape room was that it's a seance to bring back Houdini run by this charlatan. And the woman who's running the seance is like talking to you, asking you questions. She gives you a tarot card reading. She feigns respect for Houdini, but secretly hates him. It's just such a cool, wild ride. And you feel like you're inside a play while also solving riddles and puzzles and everything and working together. So that to me, to feel like you're inside a video game, to feel like you're inside, you know, a movie, especially the game, the movie, the game, please watch that. That to me is what I want. That's the pinnacle of of escape roomism to me. So I would love more immersive theater in terms of like, you feel like you can actually say anything and it works versus I'm walking into someone else's party and I have to figure out what's going on. The fact that you can bring your own personality to it or switch up strategies to try and elicit a different response.
0: I don't see how you get anybody to create that unless they were improv. Like you need a combination of improvers and engineers. Yeah. Be fantastic.
1: That's always what we wanted. Some of the first video games I really liked were those text adventures, Zork and things like that. And so much of it is figuring out what vocabulary. (laughs) I don't know the meaning of the word cake <laughs> yeah screw you
3: it's testing like brian was saying like feeling for the edges to go back to that the strange bird houdini room in that room there is a trunk like a, a trunk that houdini might escape from but the most fun thing for the whole hour besides the immersive theater elements was that you could put anything in the trunk and it would lock for 10 seconds and there'd be a drum roll and the lights would flicker and then you'd hear like either a womp womp or a ding and and when you open the trunk, whatever you had put in was either the same or it had been replaced with something new through magic. So if you put a deck of cards in there and shut it, it would lock and you'd hear a ding. And when you open it, instead of a deck of regular cards, it's a deck of tarot cards. Or if you put a, a lock and a key separately in there, that a key that wouldn't fit, shut the door and open it, the key's inside the lock and it's unlocked and you can access whatever was in that box. So it was such a cool element that required human effort. Like there's definitely a guy behind the trunk sliding open a panel and doing whatever like a carnival uh, style game but it was so thrilling and so exciting and then it would became fun to be like, what can we put this box that might change So it's just thrilling to be like even though this requires no skill, it's just so fun to just be like like you said with text games of like you know if, if I put in cribbage to a dragon, what are they going to say back to me?
1: You know, you wanted to evolve to at least have the vocabulary to make it more like a human, that anything you put out at it instead of just being the couple of trigger words would actually work. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Like with Siri, when Siri was first introduced, you know, I would come upon friends being like, Siri, how do I hide a body? (laughs) And Siri would say like, I don't think you should be asking me that. (laughs) And you're like, Oh my gosh, they accounted for that. Or there's some (laughs) algorithm running that discerns that they said something sinister. So they have a joke response. Like, it is really exciting to see when you're able to sort of push and prod and see where you find purchase. is very satisfying.
0: One time I said, Siri, I was on tour and I was very lonesome. And I go, I'm sad and lonely. And she said, I'm sorry, Erica. I wish I had a shoulder that you could cry on. <laughs> and I felt so seen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I thought you were going to say she said, same girl, same.
2: <laughs> Edel, are the ones that you remember, these escape rooms, Are they the ones that you've solved necessarily or the ones you failed? Is there any correlation between the most memorable experiences and whether they are ones you actually managed to get to the end of?
3: Yeah, that's tough because I remember the ones that are my favorite and that I got out of. And then I remember the ones that were okay, but I failed. Like you remember, I think out of 70 rooms, I've failed five. But I definitely remember those in terms of you can't help but on the drive home play over like how did I miss that? Or like, how was I supposed to figure that
1: out? So there's some like that are like the heartbreaker riddles where you're just like, come on.
3: Yeah. It's you. like, there's no way I'm, I am could have known that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: There's no way I could have known to say Odysseus to the Cyclops in Zork 1. Yes, exactly. <laughs> absolutely.
2: You've done enough that you've solved some really quickly, I assume. Yes? Yeah. Do you feel ripped off? Like,
3: you got your money back? Yeah, I think Erica was talking about, you know, there's this idea of, like, there's competitive escape room tournaments or, you know, play where people list the best times and that becomes this new challenge, this new thing of, like, we have to beat them. But to me, you know, if I'm supposed to be in the room for an hour and I get out in 32 minutes, it's cool that we escape, but also I'm like, I paid 45 bucks for this fucking thing. (laughs) Like, I want at least the movie's length worth of time in here. So I think there is something to be said about Rooms being aware enough that they should challenge you for as long as possible without being impossible. But I definitely prefer to be in a room longer than shorter, even if that means not breaking a record or anything or getting a good time. I prefer to immerse myself in it for as
1: long as possible. Well, we should shut this down. I guess, Adel, if you have a couple more minutes for our supporter only audio, I would ask you some Podcasting related questions, but what's your? Ooh, you, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> all right. Then, then, after uh, dark questions, patreon.com slash pretty much pop. You can hear, uh, the remainder of our interrogation. Thanks so much for, for doing this interrogation <laughs> in public. <laughs> oh, no, I've, I've admitted to it all <laughs> for being in this cramped, uncomfortable situation with a bunch of strangers trying to solve the puzzle of what to say next. Thanks. Thank you all so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for being
1: here. All right. Bye, general public. Bye. Bye forever. Bye. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability.